Well, this evening I want to speak on the subject of in-laws. And I see that we have a few here uh, ready to take notes and uh, ready to find out what it is that your son-in-law or daughter-in-law are doing wrong and how to straighten them out. And uh, I understand that. I am a father-in-law. And I realize that fathers-in-law have been vested with almost all of the wisdom of the universe. And um, if those idiots would just ask us for the advice, or if they would just listen when we give it to them unsolicited, we could save them for, from so much trouble. But then there are some young people here, married couples, and you are in-laws too, and it's that father-in-law or mother-in-law and you're struggling with your relationship with them you want it to be so right and sometimes it can be so wrong you want it to be perfect it started out that way at least you hope that it would start out that way and it just hasn't worked out that way how can you be the kind of in-law father-in-law mother-in-law son-in-law daughter-in-law you are supposed to be well that's the issue this evening and there is a chapter in the bible an entire chapter which will speak volumes to us on the subject of in-laws. And um, I'm going to ask you to turn to that chapter in just a few moments. I wonder, I asked in our new members class, I asked for folks to just voluntarily tell me where they thought this chapter was. Now, I'm going to take my finger out of my Bible so that you won't... Uh, you won't see what part of the New Testament it's in. Or was it in the New Testament? Is my Bible upside down? Where was it? All right. Does anybody here, uh, anybody want to wager or venture a guess as to what chapter in the Bible in its entirety speaks volumes to us about in-laws? Just raise your hand. I'll call on you. And uh, you'll, if you are the person who guesses, you get a free meal tonight over in the cafeteria. So this will make this very interesting, all right? This is not a door prize or anything. This is just a, uh, just want to find out who knows where this wonderful chapter in the Bible is, all right? You'd have to tell me the book and the chapter, all right? Miss Tuttle, where do you think this is? Why is that? Not Ruth, although that was also guessed in the new members class. And it's not wrong, that's not the wrong answer, because... It's not the wrong answer because there isn't a lot about in-laws in Ruth. It's just wrong because I want it to be wrong. It's not where I want, it's not where I want to preach about tonight. All right. Does anybody else have a, uh, have, all right. What's that? Genesis 31. Jacob and Laban. Good. Hey, that is an excellent chapter. I wish I'd thought of it, but I didn't. You don't, you don't get the price. All right. Where do you think it is? Genesis 3. Why? How about man and woman? That's good. That's a good, but that's wrong. All right. I want to encourage you in your wrongness. All right. That guy just got a free meal at the cafeteria. Exodus chapter 18. Oh, is it Shelby that gave you that? How did you know that, Shelby? My gracious alive, turn with me to Exodus chapter 18. And in just a few moments, I'm not going to have you stand, and we're not going to read a passage of Scripture this evening. I do want to lead us in a time of prayer before I preach from this passage, but I'm going to read, or we're going to read together every verse of Scripture in the 18th chapter of Exodus as we think together about in-laws. So get your Bible open, Exodus chapter 
18. Father, I pray, trusting that in the few moments that we have here this evening, what you have to say to our hearts will change our lives, Lord. Um, I pray that uh, you would rivet our attention to your word. Thank you, Lord, for the music we've been able to be a part of. We've heard from these wonderful young people. Thank you, Lord, for Diane Taylor's testimony this evening. Thank you for using it to speak to my heart tonight. And now, Lord, as we look at this subject of in-laws, as we continue thinking together about the family and about how we can establish and maintain your harmony in our home, I pray that you would open the eyes and ears of our understanding, not just physically, but of our heart, so that we would embrace what you have to say to us. And I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, you have your Bible open at Exodus chapter 18. Now, let me just say, take just a few moments to paint the picture for you. Moses, under the specific direction of God, is now the one God has used to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage, out of the slavery of Egypt, and now they are on their way to what is called the promised land, the land promised to Abraham many, many years earlier. It's not going to be a short route. As you know, the children of Israel are disobedient, and they end up wandering in the wilderness until literally over 600,000 of them die. An entire disobedient generation dies. The truth of the matter is there are probably, someone has said that you could probably count on the fact that there were about 1.8 million people coming out of the land of Egypt and wandering now in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Where we find Moses, that would be if you had three per family and the head of that family was one of the men of fighting age and fighting strength. At this particular time, they are organized by families and they at least have enough organization to do battle because they have done battle on more than one occasion. But in terms of leadership and in terms of authority and, ter and in terms of just directing the day-by-day -day life of 1.8 million people, here is a group of people wandering in the wilderness, about two-thirds of the total population of Oklahoma now. Uh, they're wandering out there in the wilderness. In terms of day-by-day -day operation, they really don't have at this moment much organization. It just sort of grew up around them. And Moses, although he was a tremendous leader, was not by nature the most gifted manager, administrator. He just wasn't. He has had an argument with his wife, Zipporah. Zipporah is the daughter of a priest of Midian, uh, that Moses had met when he was on what we call the backside of the desert at uh, some point between his 40th and 80th birthday. Uh, Moses met Zipporah and came to know Jethro and his family. Jethro was also called Ruel. And um, Moses had married Zipporah. They had two children, two boys by the name. Gershom was the name of one. And Eliezer was the name of the other. 
Zipporah obviously had a hard time getting into everything that Moses was doing as uh, the leader and deliverer of the children of Israel. After all, she had grown up in a preacher's family and, and uh, not a Baptist preacher and not even a Jewish preacher's family. And, and uh, his ways were strange to her, but yet married to him as she was. Uh, she was along for the ride. And so when God said to Moses, go back to the land of Egypt and deliver the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. She dutifully got the boys together and the, all the goods together. They packed up and they, she headed down to Egypt with, with Moses. But on the road to Egypt, God had a controversy with Moses which he needed to settle. He said, you have two boys and neither one of them has been circumcised. This was the picture of being set apart for God. And so this became an issue between Moses and Zipporah, and she ended up saying some pretty nasty things about him, and he sent her home with the boys. Basically, if that's how you feel about it, go home. And so when Moses showed up down in the land of Egypt, Zipporah, Gershom, and Eliezer were not with him. She had gone home to Daddy. And you can read about this in Exodus chapter 2 and also in Exodus chapter 4. Well, you know, you would think that a father like that, being a Midianite and not a Jew, and being a preacher and having some righteous indignation and not understanding Jewish ways anyway, you would think that, that uh, he would have said to his daughter, well, if Moses ever mistreats you, you just come home. You come home to your daddy. We will treat you right when you get home. And so that's what she had done. She had gone home, and they apparently were treating her right. But something happened at some point. Moses vanquished the army of Egypt with his troops and tribes and God moved in such a miraculous way and the Red Sea had closed up and now Moses is out for the journey in the wilderness. The worst possible time, I'm, I'm thinking that Zipporah was at home reading the newspaper and reading about this event and hearing about all these people out in the wilderness and I'm saying, I'm thinking to myself that she probably said to her daddy, Daddy, I am sure glad you let me come home. That guy is a wild man. Did you know that he wanted to mutilate our son? Daddy, I am so glad that home is where I belong and that you wanted me to be home with you. The last thing in the world I would want to do would be marching around in that sand pit, following that man, Mo, that wild man, Moses, all those crazy ideas he had about going to another land. Daddy, thank you for letting me stay home. But apparently Jethro said to Zipporah, Sweetheart, I love you, and you're my daughter, but you don't belong here. And I realize I am Moses' father-in-law, and he is my son-in-law, and the two of you have not gotten along like I would like for you to get along, but as your father-in-law, I'm going to do everything necessary to see that the two of you get back together. And that's where we find... Jethro in this chapter. And I just want to mention several things here this evening about a good in-law. And we're going to look at parents-in-law as well as children-in-law in the closing verses of this chapter. But the first thing I want to say about a good in-law is this, that a good in-law, if you're a dad-in-law, a mother-in-law, and you want to be the right kind of in-law, you need to have a, a proper Bible-based understanding of the new relationship that exists 
between your child and the person your child married. You need to understand that that was a new home. The Bible says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They become a brand new family. And as much as your heart goes out to that son or that daughter, and as much as you want them to come home and prove that you're the most wonderful person in their life, listen, once they get married, you are not supposed to be the most wonderful person in their life. That husband is supposed to be the most wonderful man to your daughter. That daughter is supposed to be the most wonderful man in the world to your son, or wonderful woman in the world to your son. We'll get it straightened out. No sense in creating problems that don't exist. They had problems, but they didn't have that problem. You got the picture? I know a lot of parents who just have a hard time with this. When we have a pre-marriage counseling, one of the sessions I, I have is with the parents of the kids who are getting married. They're not always just kids, they're the people who are getting married. And I call the session learning how to cut the apron strings without cutting the heart strings. Uh, parents just have a tendency. Marla, you remember that session? Sean, you remember that session about cutting the apron strings without cutting the heart strings. It, it, it's so important because, you see, parents just naturally have always been the most important person, the most loved person in that daughter's life, in that son's life. And, and you know, you want us to keep it that way. But God says it's not supposed to be that way. Now, love is a wonderful thing. You don't lose it by giving it away. You just get more love. But, but parents have a hard time, in-laws have a hard time saying, well, now, you know, is she really taking care of my son as well as she ought to? Is he really taking care of my daughter as, as well as he ought to? Well, you know, he may not, she may not be, but that has ceased to become your business except on your knees once they get married. Sometimes parents jump in. I, I tell you, they, they do things that... that end up destroying marriages. They start bailing kids out, you know, getting them in debt uh, to them. When you loan your kids money, you cease becoming a passive investor in their life. You start caring where they go on vacation and what they drive and how much time they spend working because, after all, you've loaned them some money. So you need to understand about this. And Jethro did. Let, let's just read the scripture here. You follow along as I begin reading. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, of Midian Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he'd sent her back. I mean, perfect opportunity for him to say, well, that's over. But he took Zipporah and her two sons, of which the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I've been an alien in a strange land. The name of the other was Eliezer, for the Lord, uh, for the God of my father said he was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness where he encamped in the Mount of God. And he said to Moses, I'm your father-in-law, Jethro, and I'm come unto you and your wife, and her two sons with her. He said, Moses, I don't know what you think about this, and I know that you're a busy man, 
and you've got over a million people to look after, and you've got more than you can say grace over. But I want to tell you who this lady is here. Yes, she's my daughter, but more important than that, she's your wife. And I want to tell you who these two kids are. Yes, they are my grandchildren, but more important than that, they are your sons. And she does not belong at home with me, Moses. She belongs out here with you. Now, I don't like this traveling life that you're on, and I'm not particularly enamored with everything you're going through, but that's irrelevant. She is your wife. These are your children, and you belong together. Now, let me say it again. If you're going to be a good in-law, you've got to understand that brand new and special relationship that God has given to your son or daughter when they chose to get married. You put your blessing upon that marriage. You say, well, I didn't bless them. I didn't want them to get married. Well, if they're married, they've got a new relationship. It would have been wonderful. They should have sought your blessing. I don't perform marriages unless they have the blessing and the encouragement of parents. But notwithstanding... When that marriage takes place, they're married. And it would be a tragic thing for you to constantly ask your child, how's she treating you? How's he treating you? Well, that doesn't sound good to me. Well, I wouldn't put up with that. Well, if you and the kids want to come home, that's fine, because I think that's just, you just do that. You just don't even, don't even, no, 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 listen. When they marry each other. You say, Brother Tom, you don't understand my circumstances. I doubt that you understood Jethro's and Zipporah's and Gershom's and Eliezer's and Moses' circumstances either. Doesn't sound too good to me. Busy man, wandering, a dreamer, and what he's done is totally contrary to anything this young lady has ever seen happen in her whole life, and he sent her home. But Jethro said, you two belong together. And a good in-law is someone who sees that, who knows that, and does everything, bending heaven and earth, does everything possible to see that that takes place. Now, I realize sometimes after having done everything possible to see that it takes place, it doesn't take place. But I'm just saying, that's where you start as an in-law. You start by saying, I am committed to helping you in any way possible make this work, not I am committed to helping you see how wonderful I am and what a slob he is or how wonderful I am and how crummy she is. No, I'm committed to helping you to understand you belong together and you need to work this out. Does that make sense? All right, here's the second thing that will help you be a good in-law. If you're going to be a good in-law, you need to have a loving and genuine interest in the welfare and the work of your child's partner for life. I mean, you really need to be interested in what that son or daughter-in-law is doing with his life or her life. If you're a father-in-law, you don't need to be detached from your daughter's husband. You don't need to have some nebulous idea about what he's doing, some passive interest, you know, I don't know, she married the guy there uh, doing whatever. You need to be interested. You need to know. You need to really be in a prayer position for that man. You need to be, what, if, if, if your daughter has married uh, uh, a man and you're a mother-in-law or a father-in-law, you need to 
You, you need to know about him. And by the way, if it's your son who's married, you need to care about this daughter. You need to, you need to what, know what's going on in her life. You need to know what she's facing. You need to really care about that. As opposed to just shrugging your shoulders and saying, well, they chose the life they've chosen. That's just it. Not anything I can do about that. I, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to do that, but they did it. I wouldn't have wanted to work there, but that's where he wants to work. I wouldn't have chosen to live there, but that's where they choose to live. I wouldn't have chosen that lifestyle. That's the lifestyle they've chosen. You, listen, that's not godly. A good in-law really cares. Really, really, really cares what's going on in the heart of their child's mate. And to Jethro, yeah. Look with me, beginning with verse 7. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He did obeisance. He kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. How you doing? I'm great. Come on in. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord had delivered them. He just poured out his heart to his dad-in-law, to his father-in-law. And Jethro rejoiced. You can say, Moses, that's great. Man, I'm glad to hear that. He rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro just said, praise God. Blessed be the Lord who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh who's delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods for the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel. And Jethro said, Moses, I want, I, I'm just, I want to worship your God to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next morning, came to pass on the morrow, Moses had to go to work. All these people, man, he's a busy man. Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening. There was just a steady stream of people coming to see Moses, asking Moses' opinion. What do we do about this? What do we do about that? And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, he began to ask questions. He said, now, now explain this. What, what is this thing you're doing to the people? Now, notice this. He didn't wait in and say, I've been watching this. This is the stupidest thing I ever saw in my life. Moses, why do you get a job like this? Look, why don't you just handle it this way? Well, this guy, Jethro, is a great guy. He says, Moses, explain to me. Tell me about your work. I want to know what you're doing. So he says, uh, what is this thing that you do to the people? Now explain to me, let me get this clear. Why is it that you sit yourself alone and all the people stand by you from morning until the evening? Can, would you explain that to me? I want to know how to pray for your work. And Moses said to his father-in-law, he said, it's because the people, they keep coming to me to inquire of God. And when they have a matter, they come to me and I judge between one another. I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. He said, man, this is a huge job. This is why I'm doing this. Notice that the father-in-law didn't sail into the situation and immediately start trying to straighten Moses out without really knowing what Moses was doing. I'm going to tell you, the temptation is to do just the opposite, isn't it? Hey, I've been down more roads and around more corners than you have, son. Let me just tell you, before you even put your hand to that, don't do it. That's a bad idea. Why I wouldn't do that anymore in a man in a moon. 
You're crazy. You think that. You, you're absolutely stupid. That's not what Jethro did. Jethro said, I, Moses, man, I love you. Can I go to work with you? I want to see what you're doing, man. So he, all day he stood there, and these people stood there, and they came to Moses, and they asked his questions. Jethro was sitting over there, and when he got through, he didn't say, Moses, that is the stupidest thing in the world, the way you're doing it. I think he had a good idea. It might be. But he said, Moses, now explain this to me. You sit here. They stand there. You start early in the morning. You go to late in the evening. Now, why are they coming? Moses said, well, let me explain to you why they're coming to me. Now, what does Jethro now have? He has Moses' heart. Moses really thinks and well he knows that Jethro cares about what he's doing see just dishing out advice does not convey that you care anything about what somebody else is doing advice comes by the bucket full but when you ask questions all right how are you doing that okay explain to me about your work what do you do then well how is this organized well what's your part in the company Okay, well, how often do you do that? Well, what do they provide? So, when you start asking questions, you know what you're saying to your son-in-law? What are you saying to your daughter-in-law? Well, sweetheart, okay, how much time do you do this? Well, do you get time for this? Well, how is this? Or, see, when you start asking questions, what you're saying is, I care. I am genuinely interested. I'm not, I'm not interested in you thinking I'm a big shot with all the answers. I am interested in you knowing that I care. Whether I give you any answers that are going to help you or not, I want you to know that at least I love you. At least I care about you. You got the picture? So a good in-law has a genuine interest in the welfare and the work of the partners, that, that son or daughter's partner for life. All right? Number three, a good in-law. A good in-law is willing to share wisdom with this caveat, this understanding, with the understanding that it's up to God to give them the grace to accept it. Now, let me say that again. A good in-law is willing to share wisdom you see, what a lot of, lot of in-laws do is they share wisdom and then they're either getting along or not getting along with their kids in law based on whether the kids do what they say. Well, I told them this and they didn't do it. So now we got a tiff. In other words, the, 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 uh, there's a chill on the meeting based upon whether the, the kids say, Oh, blessed father-in-law, we will do what thou sayest. If you do that, hey, great, you're a wonderful son-in-law. But he says, well, actually, Dad, I've got another way of doing it. Huh. Well, just see if I ever try to tell you. Do it your own. You want that way? I'm true. Now, that's, that's what happens a lot of times. There are a lot of in-laws out there who base their love and their interest and their concern on whether the kids do what they say. Hey, it's not your life to run anymore, Dad, Mom. It's not. They got married. They're their own family. They're, they're what you are, too. You say, well, they, they all want this wisdom. Yeah, it helped them. But you need to be willing to share your wisdom and always just realize that it's up to God to put it in their heart whether they do what you say. That's God's business. That's between them and God because they're their own family. And don't you make that a test of your friendship with your son or daughter-in-law. 
whether they do what you say. Live your life. Don't try to live your life through. It's not any better for you to live your life through your married kids than it is to live your life through your little junior high softball player. That's not your job. It's their life. It's their marriage. Wonderful if they listen to you. But don't make that the test of your fellowship with them. Won't you see what Jethro did? Moses' father-in-law said to him, and, and he'd earned this privilege by asking a few questions. I know Moses would not have listened one bit to his father-in-law if Jethro had just come down here and said, here's your wife, here's your kids. What are you doing? That's dumb. I don't have much time to say, son, but it looks to me like what you're doing is pretty pitiful. Moses would have said, fine, Dad, I'm busy. See you later. See you Christmas. Maybe two Christmases. Well, they didn't have Christmas then. <laughs> but see, Moses is going to listen to his father-in-law because he's, his father-in-law is what? Listen to him. You earn the right to give advice by, not by being smart, not by having experience. You earn the right to give advice by listening to your children once they're married. That's right. So after having done all this listening, Moses' father-in-law, verse 17, said to him, you know, the thing that you're doing, this is not a good deal, is it? It's not good. Looks to me like you'll surely wear away both you and this people that's with you, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it this by yourself. He said, man, this is going to break you. Listen now to my voice. I'll give you some counsel and God will be with you. You be for the people to Godward that you may bring their causes to God. And you teach them the ordinances and laws and you show them the way wherein they must walk, the work they've got to do. But listen to this. Here's the key to this. Moreover, you shall provide out of all the people able men. Get the right guys. Recruit wisely here, Moses. Don't recruit stupidly. Recruit wisely. Able men, men that fear God, men of truth, men who hate covetousness. You place such over them to be rulers. And break it down this way. Rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifty, and rulers of tens. And you let them judge the people at all seasons. You let them do this work, Moses. You turn it loose. Get your hand off of it. You turn it loose. Release it. Enrich their lives by letting them have a piece of the action. And it'll be that every great matter they'll bring to you. I mean, when the, when the thing gets so big they don't know what to do, they'll bring this to you. But every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for yourself, and they'll bear the burden. And if you will do this thing, and notice this, and, and if God commands you so, then you'll be able to endure, and all the people shall also go to their place in peace. Now, basically what he's saying, he said, I've got an idea about how this could work out. And I believe if you'll do it, this little organizational chart here, Moses, you know, here's you, here's captains of thousands, captains of hundreds, captains of fifties, captains of tens. They take care of everything on their level, get something that strangles a, you know, them, you know, they'll bring it to you. They're going to, but, but you just, you be to them for God, uh, be to God for them and you let these guys deal with this. And he says, if this will work, and by the way, he says, if God puts his stamp of approval on it in your heart, this is going to save your neck. But notice he says, and if God gives you his stamp of approval. Notice what he says here. If you do this thing and God commands you so, then you shall be able to endure and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. Moses, 
It's a good idea, I think, but it's my idea. You check it out with God and make sure that's what God wants you to do. So what are we saying? A good in-law is willing to share wisdom, but also realizes it's up to God to put it into the heart of that son-in-law, that daughter-in-law, to follow your instruction. Well, let, let me just close with a word to children-in-law. Generally, if you're an in-law, you've also been a child-in-law. Not just generally, always. Now, that mother-in-law and father-in-law may not be alive now, so let me just speak to those of you who have living in-laws. What are your responsibilities to them? Well, Moses shows us a, a good picture of this. He's, there's really four things you need to do for your in-laws. And I hope that, that all of us will do this for our in-laws, all right? First of all, you're to love them. You are to love them. You say, Brother Tom, they give... Love them. Well, how can I do They give us such hate. You give God fits. He loves you. Love them. You don't have to love what they do. You don't have to love the way they are. You don't have to love the way they talk. You don't even have to love the way they make you feel when you're in their presence. Oh, I'm getting a headache just driving to their house. <laughs> but you do have to love them. You have to love them. Verse 7, Moses bowed before his daddy-in-law, kissed him. Don't get any crazy ideas. That was a big deal back then. They all had beards. That was a real test of how manly you are. Stick your face in the grass. Sir. <laughs> but you're to love your in-laws. Number two, you are to listen to them. Doesn't mean you have to do what they say, but you are to listen to them. Look at verse 24. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law. In this instance, he did everything he said. Here is this Jake Leg, pagan, Midianite priest coming out of nowhere telling Moses, who has led over a million people out of the bondage of Egypt, how to run the show. But, but God had Moses' heart, and Moses listened to his father-in-law, did what he said. You're to listen to your in-laws. You don't have to... You don't have to like what they say. If you're going to shoot it full of holes, do it with your wife or your husband after they've gone home. But listen. Just listen. Just as you want them to listen to you, they deserve to have you listen to them. And just as they're not obligated to do anything that you say, neither are you obligated to do everything they say but you are obligated to love them and to listen to them. You might be surprised what you learn. I can tell you this, thing, this for sure. When your mouth is open and you're talking, you are not learning anything. Nobody ever learned by talking. Nobody ever learned anything by talking. It's by listening. All right, you're to love them, you're to listen to them, and you are to learn from them. Verses 25 and 26, Moses said, you know, I think this is a good plan. And so Moses chose able men out of Israel. He made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifty, rulers of tens. 
And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard cause they brought to Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. Moses finally got a night or two at home. But there's one other thing besides loving them and listening to them and learning from them, which you certainly can. You need to let them live the life that God has ordered for them. You need to let them live the life that God has ordered for them. Hope you hear what I'm about to say. This is an unusual generation. Sometimes uh, middle-aged people these days are called the sandwich generation. They've got kids to raise, and they've also got parents to take care of. There's never been a time like this in America, quite like, uh, never been a time quite like this before. You have people who are grandparents who have grandparents. Our parents alive. And juggling that gets to be hard, doesn't it? I mean, trying to take care of all that, plus your own life. I mean, you got your own life to live, and it gets to be hard. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. Don't you try to start shoving your in-laws into little boxes for the purpose of making your life easier. You know, if I could just get you over here and you'd, all right, we could just get this settled. Okay, you get out of my hair about that and we could just get this over here. Then I could live the life that I want to live. Don't you go shoving people around like that. To the day a person dies, God has got a purpose for their life. To the day they die. And don't you go wishing them dead either. You can write people off in your mind years before they die and you fail to be anything to them God wants you to be and you fail to learn anything from them God wants you to learn. And let me tell you something, God ensures that the law of the harvest takes place. What you sow is what you grow. What you grow is what you reap. What goes around comes around. And let me just tell you something, there's a bunch of kids watching you take care of your in-laws. Don't be surprised when you get it one day like you dished it out today. Amen. Cindy Spees is here tonight. She brought me some Creole gumbo or just Creole sauce because she's from down in Mississippi. Mississippi. They had this big hurricane down there and so Ralph and Rosine look for absolutely any excuse to get the grandkids here. So they rescued them from the hurricane. Now, her husband's doing fine down there in the house that never got wet, but the kids have been rescued. <laughs> you know what Cindy knows? Cindy has watched her mama take care of dad's fees till the day he died. And watched her mama go over there to that nursing home every day and take care of Ralph's mother who hardly knows her most days. I doubt that should Jesus tarry and Ralph and Rosine live to be old people who have a hard time getting around, 
I doubt that Cindy and Sean are going to say, where's some little box we can stick mom and dad in to get them out of our life? They're not going to do that. Ralph and Rosine will reap a thousand times the love and the care and the generosity and the concern and the faithfulness and the patience through grief which they have sown. I even make that a part of my prayer for them when I pray for them day by day. A thousandfold, dear God, bless them for what they're sowing. But I tell you what, I look around and I see some children-in-law who are just so aggravated by those in-law parents. They're such a nuisance. We can't do all the stuff and go all the places. And, and besides that, you know, they got a little, and if they'd just hurry up and kick off, we'd get a little of what they got. Let's just stick them someplace. You let them live the life. In fact, you help them live the life. In fact, you commit yourself to helping them live the life. That, that God's ordained for them. Well, Moses let his father-in-law depart. Why? He wanted to go home. Moses had a little argument with his brother-in-law. He said, why don't you stay out here? You could be like eyes for us in the desert. He said, no, I want to be with Dad. I'm going home. We don't belong out here. We belong back home. Some of your in-laws will want to live in some of the craziest places and do some of the craziest things, and it will be so inconvenient for you, but it's their life. You might try to help them. You might try to counsel them. But you make sure that while you're talking to them, you're not trying to get them to make it so that your life is easy, but that instead you are helping that in-law fulfill all the bright promises which God has for them till the day they die. Because see, it's really not about you and having fun on this earth anyway. This is just school. One day we graduate and we go where we're going to spend forever. It'd look awfully bad on your record if you spent most of your time shoving in-laws around to get them out of your hair. But it looks so good if you learn from them during those days when the people who had to change your diapers are now having to have theirs changed. And you said, I'm going to be faithful and true because one day when I get home, with Jesus and with them. I don't want to have to have any regrets. In-laws. Thank God for in-laws. Father in heaven, I just thank you for letting us have this time together in this building tonight, this wonderful time of worship. And Lord, the baptism of love which you shed abroad in our hearts. Thank you for testimonies, for songs, for your word. Lord, I know every one of us can say, but you don't know my situation, right? I don't, but you do, Lord. And you give us grace to meet every test we face. 
So, Lord, give us grace tonight. I pray when we stand for this invitation time that you'd bring to this altar those who want to say yes to what you have said in their hearts tonight. And I pray it in Jesus' wonderful, matchless name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Praise singers are coming. Your moment of invitation. Wouldn't it be awful for you to leave this building without just having got right with God? Maybe you need to just come down here to this altar and kneel and say, Lord, I have been such an absolute idiot in the way I have done this in-law thing. Children-in-law or parents-in-law. And just, get out and just say, Lord, I, I, I see what you're saying to my heart. People are already coming. You may need to do that. Just get up, come down here to this altar and say, Lord, I repent, I confess it, and I am committing myself to letting you shed your love abroad in my heart to my children and to my parents. I'm committed to being an angel of light to them. The Ron Dunn Podcast is available only for personal edification, not to be duplicated, uploaded to the web, or resold without prior written consent. It is managed and operated by Sherwood Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to additional Ron Dunn messages, visit sherwoodbaptist.net slash bookstore and search Ron Dunn. For more Ron Dunn materials, including sermon outlines, devotions, and scanned pages from his study Bible, please visit rondunn.com.